friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rupert. My name is Steve McDonough. On every episode of the podcast, we do a deep dive into a specific food or ingredient, separating the yolks of its history, celebrating its grog-filled heroes, and enjoying its festive holiday-spiked hoopla. And today's food is eggnog, which I've learned is somewhat of a divisive uh, kind of a thing. People hating eggnog? Well, I mean, there are, in my very scientific research, uh, which it, it spans 50 years of me being alive, mm -hmm. um, I have met people that absolutely gag at the idea of eggnog. Uh, it I seems guess I be... can understand that. Here's the thing. This is how you, like, the, qu the quickest way to deal with eggnog, because this is what I do generally. I go to the store, I buy the eggnog, I leave it in my refrigerator, and in February, I throw it away. Yeah, and listen, I <laughs> we'll we'll talk about that as we get to my recipe. Uh, but I always, um, I same same deal. I get excited about it. I see it, and I think, oh, it's eggnog right? season. Yeah, and then about a third of the way down, maybe yeah, less. Yeah, I get less excited about it. Yeah, you know those little milk cartons you would get when you were in school. Those yep. <laughs> yep. that's how they should sell eggnog. Because I want idea. one when I'm putting up the tree. Yeah, I don't. I don't like. It's too heavy for me. Yep. That's so many calories where yeah, I could yeah. be eating like. You know, you know, this liquid cheesecake, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I do love the things that you can put into it. And so I've gotten a, the past couple of years, I've gotten more excited about eggnog because of what I do with uh, with the cocktailing. Sure. But I can't have, you know, I, I maybe have two a season, usually enjoy one, but maybe that's OK. Yeah, yeah, that's that's OK. To, I think, too, scarcity can can. Uh can create a sense of value and excitement or whatever. If you have it every day, it's not special, right? So, oh, no. Um, but I am en enjoying my lactose-free oat nog, uh, which I'm proud that they now have those uh, those options for us people that can't handle the dairy. Uh, but hey, let's let's talk about what the hell is a nog anyway, right? So that the, uh, it's a fun name. I think there was even a Star Trek character named Nog. He was a Ferengi, uh, if, I, if my nerdy brain is working here. But I uh, I am I know you're going to be so disappointed in me, but I don't have a Latin name for today's show. I have no no scientific name for eggnog. I feel like I'm going to disappoint you right out of the gate. Hmm. Uh, nog nog. Yeah. Oh no, is there some nog nog jokes? Uh, nog nog. Who's who's there? Figs. Oh, it's a fig joke. Uh, fig who? Figs the doorbell. I'm having to go nog nog. Actually, you should <laughs> figs the door. It's going nog nog instead of knock knock. I that the whole thing that's that is right up my alley. That's uh, I can't believe you came down to my level <laughs> with, with that. One. That's pretty good. Uh, so again, no no Latin name for you, but uh, I do have an unusual word, and it's actually a word that I sort of I'd heard of but learned from you back on episode ten when I wasn't uh, on the show and you had uh, our friend Corey Goodrich on the show, and that word is posset. We and I did talk about a posset. You did, have, and then you had the fancy little posset cup uh, that you put on. Yes, online. we did. Yeah, pretty neat. But again, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really know fully what it what it was or what it is. Uh, and it is essentially was a a warm ale punch that was served with uh, with eggs and uh, sometimes fruits like figs uh, that medieval monks would drink. And we have record of this going as far back as the 13th century. So, um, but I have to ask, what what is up with the monks? And alcohol. I mean, it seems like every good alcohol. Listen, if you had to live that cloistered life, give them yeah. a little something. Or I think it's awesome. I think it's great. But to me, it's just strange that the religious folks get to make the best spirits. And then the church gets to threaten our spirit with the Holy Spirit for drinking their spirits. It just seems a little 
Well, we're going to talk about some nuns who were making uh, eggnog, and then one of the nuns fought to get the right to be able to drink it. And they're like, okay. oh, okay, because, you know, you got to wear the habit. Oh, well, that's it. They didn't want them to get into a bad habit. <laughs> Man, this, you, you, are, you are hitting the, you're hitting the highlights that it was with my kind of humor. I love it. Um, so anyway, so we have these monks uh, that were making posit, and over time, posit kind of evolved with these various milk and wine punches uh, that were often served at social gatherings to toast one's health and pros prosperity, right? So, but it would really be sort of a aristocratic thing. And, and if you'll also add the uh, the religious side of things, but it wasn't an every man's drink because at the time, uh, milk and eggs and alcohol, particularly sherry, which was the, the popular booze of, of choice mm. back then, were all expensive, right? And so having a posset was um, was really a, a pinkies up kind of affair. It was really for uh, either the well-heeled or the um, the well-robed clergy because it wasn't an every man's drink. You know, hold on. I, yeah. What you're just saying, I mean, you mentioned sherry. I hadn't really thought about that. I, what I'm saying about how I like eggnog with a splash of something in it. Yeah. Uh, I'll just I'll just say it now. Like I love. You know, you'll you'll put in like a dark rum or a brandy or whatever, right? Not a spiced rum. Don't put in Captain Morgan's. Put in a dark rum like Gosling's Black Seal or a good brandy or what I found. You know, all those secondary spirits that I talk about. You know, like a, your primary spirit being gin, bourbon, vodka, and your secondary right. spirits being like Cointreau, things like that. Mm -hmm. The sweeter ones. Those are what I love in an eggnog. So if with an eggnog, I'll put in a splash of benedictine oh my gosh it brings it to a completely different place a splash of chartreuse oh wow it adds all of these herbs to it that i really really takes it to another level to me that's what i like to add to it but what i hadn't thought of until you just said it was the idea of sherry because the eggs and the milk and the, then the nuttiness, nuttiness of a right. of a sherry. Mm -hmm. So yeah, because we we drink sherry after dinner every now and then. It's uh, it's really lovely. If you don't do it, you really it's you should give it a shot. It's it's lovely. But I'm gonna put a splash in my eggnog this year for sure. I want to. I'm gonna do a sherry. Now this is just a, a an ignorant question. I always see cream sherry and dry sherry. So which. You don't want to. Uh, we're not talking about a cream sherry. The last thing you need to do this eggnog is add more cream. Okay, and you'll kill yourself. You know, just a nutty uh, something like a manzanilla, and it's not expensive. You can go to your liquor store and get a really affordable glass uh, bottle of sherry. But anyway, just give it a shot. They're, yeah. they're enjoyable. <laughs> Literally giving it a shot. Uh, yeah. Hey, but you mentioned. I know we're already digressing here, but you mentioned the nutty flavor. I like frangelico in my eggnog. Just a little frangelico. Yeah, that would work too. Is really good. So, but again, sherry was uh, was you know an expensive liqueur, as were the eggs and the milk, because not everybody had chickens and cows uh, in England, which was a very you know geographically landlocked real estate spare. You know, there's not a lot of land, not not a lot of rolling hills there. So when we fast forward and jump across the pond to colonial America, which according to most maps is pretty close to the Caribbean. Uh, that's where sugar was grown, and of course, where you grow sugar is where you distill rum, uh, which is also known as grog. 
And that's a lot less expensive than sherry, but also brandy and the other liqueurs that were used um, in these mixed drinks that were being shipped across from England. So grog or rum became sort of the everyman beverage in the colonies. And like I said, unlike England, the colonists had a lot more land to farm. And so where it used to be only wealthy landowners had uh, cows and chickens, now almost everybody in the in the new colonies had cows and chickens because they had so much land. Right. So they had a, a, a direct source to milk and eggs. So by the time the colonies were up and thriving, the, the possets were kind of known to the people that would have left England to to start a new life as this almost legendary beverage, right? This was this kind of uh, elixir that was only meant for the the wealthy and the rich. So they'd only known about this drink in, in stories and in, in storybooks. But now they're in a new country. They have access to inexpensive sugar and eggs and milk and rum. So they started kind of creating their own version of, of uh, posset. Uh, so now the name Nog uh, has kind of uh, a little bit of a gray area. Like we're really bad about when someone creates a new word, nobody like raises their hand. Like unlike us, we documented when I came up with the word the word villain, we have a we have an absolute timestamp that we know when when how where and who. <laughs> came up with the right. word villain. There you, there you uh, go. Yes, but with Nog, it's a little gray. But what we think is, uh, at the time in early colonial US, a noggin was a little wooden cup. So if you went to the to the pub, uh, to the bar, and you got a noggin of ale, right? So that's there's a Nog part of it. Oh. And then, yeah, so you got a noggin. Uh, we always think of noggin as our brain, use your noggin. Well, maybe, yeah, maybe they're the same. Yeah, maybe. Well, maybe the more noggins you had, the less your noggin was uh, was functioning. But um, then the word grog, which sounds a lot like um, nog. So what they believe, what they posit, I'm kind of throwing it around oh, here. I see what you did there. Uh-huh, uh, is that if you ordered a noggin of an egg and grog cocktail, it was an egg and grog noggin, and over time, that just became a portmanteau and became egg. Oh, um, listen to you. Yeah. So listen, uh, putting it together. I think that's dropping pretty, you know, facts on dropping facts on you as you're <laughs> driving your car. Facts, yes, people. Yeah. Facts. Be careful. Be careful. Facts ahead. Be careful. Um, so that's that's kind of where the, the thought came around. Now, why was it a holiday drink? Well, because eggs and milk last longer in cold weather, right? So they think really that that's kind of when it was most often enjoyed in a, in a bar because in the middle of August in uh, in Savannah, Georgia, you don't want to have eggs and milk sitting around unrefrigerated. So those drinks were typically only offered in a, uh, in a tavern uh, in those colder months when they could, you know, have them on the ready. Uh, and then the alcohol kind of helps as a preservative too. And, and some places would even kind of age their eggnog uh, and it was you know quite a, a concoction of milk and eggs or egg yolks uh, and alcohol but if you had 20 percent alcohol in there it would it would act as a natural preservative and keep that over time right so our first president you know the guy jorge i think was his name jorge washington uh <laughs> president george washington was reportedly a, a huge fan of eggnog and there is a a famous recipe that is attributed to him now According to the old farmer's almanac, as well as the actual librarians at Mount Vernon, which was his, you know, his estate, yeah. they didn't actually find a 
a Washington's family archive approved eggnog recipe, but this recipe is attributed to him. I'm thinking that maybe presidents back then didn't take their classified recipes home with them after Ooh, they left. I the, see what um, you did there. So, but you I mean, just brought I, back the wooden mug. It's I, my own wooden mug. <laughs> that's right. It's my yeah. wooden mug. Yeah, and I can I can declassify that mug anytime I want. Mug. I know it has Lincoln's name on it. But it <laughs> oh wait, no, no, never mind. Lincoln was born. <laughs> I, King George's name. There we go. There we go. Uh, anyway, so listen, here, here is his recipe. I'm going to read the whole recipe because I, I, like uh, I like the ingredients, I like the quantities, and I like the instructions. So this is okay. uh, the, the, the George Washington's eggnog. It is Ooh, one Washington's quart. Eggnog. Yes, indeed. One quart of cream, uh, one quart of milk, one dozen tablespoons of sugar, one pint of brandy, a half a pint of rye whiskey, a half a pint of Jamaica rum, a, a fourth a pint of sherry, and first you mix the liquors together and then you separate the egg yolks and the whites of the 12 eggs. You add the sugar to the beaten yolks and you mix well. Now you add the milk and the cream slowly beating, beat the whites of the eggs until stiff and then fold them slowly into the mixture. Let them set in a cool place for several days. And then my favorite part of this whole recipe says taste frequently. Uh, so that's one of those things you got to go back down to the cellar and try it again and try it again. And uh, I like the fluffiness aspect of it. I do too, but it seems like after you let it set for several days, it seems like that fluffiness would uh, would dissipate. But but maybe what they I, want it to, you know. Well, but what I was reading is two things there. You know how if you have a uh, if you have a soup that you're trying to clarify, you can add beaten egg whites to a soup, and it kind of acts like a sponge and and kind of helps collect some of the impurities in there. So what I had read was they they believed that the alcohol would kill any bacteria that was in the non-pasteurized milk back then, right? Because it would have been raw milk and raw cream. Yeah, it is and a it, lot of alcohol. In oh, that. it is. And, and but that alcohol would have also killed any bacteria that was in the eggs because, you know, again, you've got unpasteurized ingredients in a, you know, in the 1700s. Um, so I'm wondering if... Um, Part of the egg whites was not only to add texture, but maybe also as a maybe you skim that off at the end. But again, oh, I, see. I see. You know, that's me thinking as a uh, as a cooking yeah. kind of a guy. But well, plus they only lived to like what seventeen. Yeah, I think he was uh, so. fourteen when he was uh, when he when he won when he took over. You know, we had the it was the January sixth of seventeen seventy six. So anyway. Um, uh, but speaking of military, and it was sort of a segue to my my own thing there. There actually was an eggnog riot uh, in the U.S. in the in the winter of 1826. A uh, riot broke out at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point in New York, and um, it said that this a basically somebody smuggled in alcohol, which was you know taboo at the yeah. at the academy. Um, so they smuggled whiskey into the barracks and then spiked the communal eggnog. You know, every time I say eggnog, I feel like the word egg is redundant because it's not like there's other types of nog, you know. But anyway, oh. um, so uh, after a few glasses of this spiked eggnog, apparently several of the cadets became a bit rowdy. Uh, some fighting ensued and then a lieutenant was knocked out and then guns started firing and windows got smashed. Again, goes kind of sounds like a recent uh, event in in our nation's capital. Uh, but it's, uh, eventually, twenty cadets were sent to court 
in relation to their actions on that night of the eggnog riot, which uh, apparently eggnog riot. I love that. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I love an eggnog riot. I know we should uh, we should try to uh, uh, do a reenactment of that each year. That would be fun. Yeah, like the Civil War reenactments, <laughs> the eggnog, the eggnog riot. I'm an eggnog riot yeah. reenactment. Uh, but yeah, it's, very... you know, it's a, my dating profile. Oh, it's I a very seven specific. Seven cats, and I am in an eggnog riot reenactment. Ed, you're the understudy for Droopy's voice. If, uh, if <laughs> should he, should the actor ever call in sick? Um, so that's that's my kind of historical tale. What I think is interesting, you know, I just mentioned the fact that there are no other types of nog. Really, there isn't that much egg and nog in the commercially bought stuff. Um, you only have to have. Um, one percent of the total quantity of the drink by FDA standards has to be egg to be to call it eggnog. And rarely do you find it where it has actual egg in it unless it's like a boiled custard or it specifically says made with real eggs. Usually it's a powdered egg solid that's added to these commercially prepared. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just right, that, you right. know, it, it's a that's how they industrialized it. And it's it's been, you know, it's been cooked. It's been pasteurized. They know that it's got no critters in there. So it's it's slightly eggy nog at this point in most in most cases. But we do in the U.S. drink a ton of it. Um, most recently, no, we uh, don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> we, we, we start, purchase it. We purchase, and then we you. put it in our refrigerator. That's right. And then we throw it away in March. That is, that we is a good. We do not drink a lot of yeah, it. That's so let not me, true. I, look, the the factoid says consumed, but I will edit it to say purchased. we purchase exactly, purchased. and then dispose of either yes. through a human or through a sink. Uh, an average of 130. You want to know what's killing the whales? It is yeah. all the eggnog that is being dumped into the ocean. That is a year. <laughs> that is a good. We should ask our friend. Actually, both Nathan Lyon and Virginia Willis are part of that uh, sustainable seafood uh, movement. I wonder yeah. if that's in their in their handbook. It probably says don't dump the nog in the drains because all drains lead to the sea and uh, nobody. Wh you know, whales cannot handle their yeah. nog. They're lactose intolerant, which uh, you know I I can relate to that. So. A hundred and thirty-five million pounds of uh, in, in America alone is purchased every year. Which uh, I don't have any gallons that equates to. If there's if it's eight pounds per gallon, I don't know. I can't do the math, but it's that's a that's a lot of nog being produced and then going somewhere. Uh, but I do have a recipe for some of that leftover nog. But we'll get to that uh, here at the end. Now, so that's in the U.S. What uh, I think you've got some some things about what they're drinking around the rest of the world? Okay, so there's a lot of uh, nog adjacent drinks that I'm going to touch on today. There's plenty of warm holiday drinks like toddies and mulled wines, things like that, and each of those even have their own variations. But I don't want to touch on that. I only want to stick to these egg based holiday drinks. So we are going to travel the world. All right, I'm going to put you in my sack, and I'm going <laughs> to. Toss you all over my shoulder, and we're going to travel the world like Stevie Claus. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, I need some. We're going to we're going to travel the world, Natalie. I'm going to need some like some Santa Claus traveling music because our first stop is Trinidad. Oh wow, <laughs> Ponche Crema. So Ponche Crema is a Caribbean style eggnog. And it's sweetened with condensed milk, so it's mm. super creamy and sweet. Uh, it's mostly enjoyed uh, as a store-bought bottled product, and that product goes back to 1900. But I can't find any near me at all, so I kind of wanted to try it. 
Um, it originated in Venezuela, and so their neighbors, Trinidad and Tobago, which is like, you know, so close, they developed their own version called poncha de creme. So there's poncha creme and poncha de creme. Uh, and their recipes vary depending on the region, but the main ingredients typically include milk, egg, sugar, Caribbean rum, those spices that you want. But they add fresh lime juice or lemon rind. And that's the kicker because the energy of that drink, it comes from the addition of the lemon. So it's you nice. can also find recipes that include bitters and orange bitters. Hello, uh, another little clue. Orange bitters are a great addition to eggnog. Wow. Because they're going to tone down the sweetness and they're going to add a little bit of a citrus element. Now, remember this because we're going to come back to this later. So this is what I'm talking about as we travel the world, like how different people just change it a bit. And I just love the the, the idea of like a lemon twist in the eggnog. And yep. I'm totally going to try that. But for now, I'm putting you back in my... <laughs> In my sack, <laughs> Natalie. Natalie, I don't know if you're a little elf today or if you're if you're a reindeer. I I don't know what hat you're wearing, but here we go with some music as we travel to oh, 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 the Netherlands. That's oh, where we are for Advocaat. Now, Advocaat is a traditional Dutch liqueur. You also find that in bottles, and you can get this near you. It's it's not that hard to find. It's really thick. And it's like a creamy brandy custard. So it's egg yolks with sugar and brandy. It's called Dutch eggnog often. It only uses the egg yolks, so it's really very deep and rich in flavor. There are records of Dutch sailors in the 17th century that describe a yellow-colored drink like this that was made in the Dutch Antilles, the Dutch Caribbean islands. But that was using avocado ah. mixed with, avo with uh, the alcohol. And this makes sense. Because the Dutch word for avocado is avocat pier. Oh, I, when I saw the name, I was going to ask if that had avocado in it because it looks, uh, you know, looks like it's uh, derived from the same. Well, yes, because they're thinking that when the Dutch brought this back, because they didn't have avocados, they switched it to that. They traded out the 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 fleshy avocado for egg yolk. Wouldn't that make sense? Yeah. But the other idea is that the uh, the Dutch word for lawyer is also advocat. Hmm. So there's another school of thought that advocat is actually short for advocat borel or lawyer's drink because it would be a good lubricant for the throat because lawyers okay. speak a lot, which is just stupid. <laughs> like, uh, this is a lawyer's drink. What the, uh, yeah. I, you know, but, you know, when you do the research and, and you're like, this is baloney and you keep finding the same thing over and over. I found it a bunch of times, but well, as we've learned, if you say it enough times, it becomes it becomes true, That's right? That's true. Uh, now, is this the one that you can eat with a spoon? I saw that there was a Dutch. Yes. Avocat is, is generally so thick that if you want, you could eat it with a spoon rather than sipping it. Well. Um, and because it's bottled and can be sipped on the rocks like that after dinner, it's, it kind of serves to me, I think, the, the, the same purpose as a, like a creamy Bailey's mm. serves. So like Bailey's, you can make a couple of cocktails with it. And the most well-known is the snowball. So, Natalie, <laughs> here we are. Off we go again. And we find ourselves in England, jolly old England, with the snowball. So, now this is a, this is a, I'm taking a little, little side note here because I want to talk about the snowball cocktail. It was invented in the 1940s. It's a cocktail using avocat that we just spoke about, right? right. Uh, brandy, lime, and bitter lemon. Do you know what bitter lemon is when you're yeah yeah I love it seas? I love it tell people what that is well it's it's a uh, I know Schweppes is the one that I've mm -hmm. had mm -hmm. uh, and it's 
it usually is a mixer, but I was introduced to it as a, as a young kid in Germany, and we would just drink it straight on ice. And I, I just find that that bitter astringency. I mean, for for the you average still person, still haven't told people what it is. Oh, and it's a it's a soda, right? I mean, it's like right. a lemon, uh, you know, a lemon a, soda, a bitter lemon soda. Right. Uh, but again, we've talked about it before. Bitter has become this negative term. It really is a great flavor if you have it in the right, you know, the right uh, yeah. ratio. And I think that one is great. So my sister Sonia, that was anytime we would travel overseas, that was her drink of choice was just a bitter lemon uh, with ice. It's just and that's great... what they call in in Britain. They they call it lemonade. Mm. So if you order a lemonade and you're in England, you're going to get a lemon soda. Okay, uh, which is you know uh, kind of spritish. Yeah. So they don't, you know, our lemonades are different. So this would be, like I said, the avocado, the brandy, the lime, and bitter lemon, lemon soda. Um, so we could make it with Schweppes bitter lemon if you can find it. That's that's the American version. Or you know, sometimes we can get a good lemon soda from a place like Trader Joe's. They have those kind of single serving big bottles. Um, and as we said, since avocado is basically a boozy custard. A cocktail like that could be too sweet and cloying. So I think that lime juice and the brandy is going to cut through that. But that was the 1940s version, you know, and it puffs up because of the uh, because of the 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 effervescence of the soda it puffs mm. up, kind of a snowball thing. But the drink didn't really find popularity until the 1970s, when you know polyester clad dads would stand in their you know mustard and orange kitchen and. Uh, or his maxi skirt wearing wife a more simple drink because it was the 70s. They would just take the Advocat and the lemonade. So basically, Advocat and Sprite and a maraschino cherry, which nice. is what – did you just say nice? No, well, it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's a can... 1970s nightmare. <laughs> no, no, shush. You shush. We're getting the hell out of England, Natalie. All right. Oh, 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 oh. Leaving England now before any of this nonsense continues. <laughs> All right, now where were we headed? Where are we headed? Oh, 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 we're landing. We're landing in. Oh, it's America. <laughs> America. So, this one I'm going to talk about for a little while because now I want to talk about a Tom and Jerry. Love that cartoon. It, 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 it is. I am not talking about a cartoon. No. It is a drink, a Tom and Jerry. Uh, oh, oh, but first. Uh, all right, I'm going to back up a bit. I read a article called Christmas Drinks to Avoid, and it listed the snowball, but it also listed the mulled wine, which I don't think mulled wine is bad, but the writer called it hot wine with potpourri. <laughs> it is, you know, it is a bit that. I just love that. Anyway, so eggnog and Tom and Jerry are close cousins, and they differ chiefly by their preparation. So eggnog is typically made with the entire egg, but Tom and Jerry is more fancy. And as we were talking about with George Washington, the eggs are separated and the whites are whipped and that makes them stiff and airy. And so you get this batter and you keep the batter and you'll take a scoop of the batter and put that into a mug. And then you're going to add dark rum and brandy and top it then with boiling water or milk. And so that batter rises to the top and it gets all foamy, like a like a little island, and you mm. put some some nutmeg on it. It's really lovely. And that sounds closer to what Washington was talking yeah. about. So except that he had mixed his. So, but this is a separate batter, and then you're gonna add the liquid to it. But the best part is how it's served, because you know I love me a vintage glass. Oh, yeah. I love a drink that comes with its own glassware. And Tom and Jerry comes with its own serving pieces. 
so Tom and Jerry has their own specially made punch bowls that say Tom and Jerry on the side and on each of the little cups, a punch cup, it says Tom and Jerry. It's usually that old timey Christmas font with like, you know, horse drawn carriages and garlands and things like that. Have you seen them? A Tom no, and I, Jerry? Haven't. I haven't. You've never seen a Tom and Jerry? Well, it's, it, it is a set. Now that I've said it, you're probably going to see them. They were really big in the 50s and 60s. And you can easily pick one up on eBay for like 50 bucks or less. They're not they're not expensive because people don't really know what they are. So there's a restaurant in downtown Chicago called Miller's Pub. And it's been in the in the Chicago Loop, you know, that major downtown area there yep. since 1934. And it's really warm in there and it's wood paneled and it's got a really large chalkboard that lists uh, a impressive uh, draft beer selection. And then they have a restaurant section with a lot of kind of wooden pillars and stained glass and those really utilitarian tables with those standard black vinyl chairs. You know, mm -hmm. so it's a, you know what, you know the look. Oh, like, yeah. oh this is a beautiful place where these tables look like ass. It's that, <laughs> that kind of place. Yeah. And every Christmas season, they're one of the few places around where you can get Tom and Jerry because people don't really make it because it's, it's a bit of work, right? Yeah. So Dan and I went by on Friday. To do oh, some nice. research. Oh, nice. I'm writing this off. <laughs> so it was packed. And we squeezed our way up to the bar. We ordered a couple. And there's this uh, bartender named Tony in a black vest. And uh, he was kind of no nonsense. But poor Tony. He was he was so busy. And he was an amazing bartender. He's probably like my age. And he's just like hustling. You know, he's the kind of bartender that people are giving him a list of orders and he's listening, going on to the next guy, listening and kind of making that list in his own head sure. and then going and bringing back 10 drinks, that that kind of guy. So when he would stop near us, because we managed to get seats, we ended up eating at the bar. And when he stopped near us uh, and to pour a water or something, and I pepper him with questions <laughs> and he's so busy. And I said, so how many of these do you make a night? And he says, I make about 250. Wow. Tom and Jerry's on a weeknight. Wow. And on a weekend, like a Saturday or Sunday, they make about 400. Good grief. So then I'm like, okay, Tony, so tell me one fun fact about making a the Tom and Jerry's because, you know, I told him uh, I, we're also in the food business. I'm doing a podcast and we're talking about this. So give me just tell me one fun thing that I could talk about on the podcast. And he gets one of those smiles on his face when you're like wondering, do I say this or or should I keep this to myself or is this too much? It's kind of one of those. You've got a secret. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of those smiles. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Right. So he goes, you have to stay clean. They're really sticky. And if you if you don't stay on top of it, the whole bar top gets sticky. Oh, okay. And I'm like, oh, I that smile wasn't about his secret Tom and Jerry secret. His smile was, holy shit, is this guy really asking me for a Tom and Jerry secret at this full yeah. bar on a Friday night? This I do a podcast, Mr. Tony. <laughs> I was wondering, could you stop what you're doing and give me a little, oh my God. He must have hated me. <laughs> so I'm lucky he didn't throw me out with his sticky, sticky hands. Hey, but that's that's great life advice anyway. Life is sticky. Keep clean. Keep I think clean. that's, yeah, you can you can uh, spread that advice across the board. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tony's doing his own podcast. So there's this asshole at the bar <laughs> on Friday night. Tell me something about your Tom and Jerry's. So anyway, at Miller's, they do like such a volume. They 
<laughs> poor Tony. They they don't have the cute little printed vintage mugs. Mm. You know, they can't do that. So they slide it over to you. You know those brown mugs that you see at an old diner in New Jersey? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Th that's what they use. So I've got a recipe for Tom and Jerry in my book, The New Old Bar. And uh, spoiler alert, it's going to be my recipe at the end of today's Oh, good. Podcast. I'm excited. So uh, but, there's no there's no connection to the cartoon at all because honestly, no. if I had Googled uh you know Tom and Jerry specialty cups, I would be clicking on the ones with the uh, the cat and the mouse on there. So good they to know. Might, they might be named after that. Tom and Jerry was around a lot. There originally there was a, a play in the 1800s in England based on a book of the same name about Tom and Jerry, and then there's a whole story about Jerry Thomas, Jerry Thomas, ah. the. Uh, mixologist bartender father of modern mixology that I've talked to you about yeah. that he said he wrote he wrote this recipe and he had a mouse he had two white mice that lived in his hat named tom and jerry so it, there's it just keeps popping up i Got don't it. think that there's a direct correlation but Got i had it. to cut out the whole jerry thomas white mice thing otherwise this would be a three-hour podcast <laughs> originally i had it all in there okay there, it's so much information um but if you don't want to make your own you can find pre-mixed batter for purchase uh, I haven't seen it around, but I guess I haven't really looked because you can really easy to find it in Wisconsin because Tom and Jerry's a big deal there. Because Wisconsin has a thing for brandy. Have you ever mm. had a brandy old fashioned? We, we talked about that. It was one of your recipes, actually, when we were doing, I think, uh, we were talking about that during the Bratwurst episode or something. You were talking about how uh, Milwaukee, in fact, at our yeah. last Schnitzel Fest, you made a, uh, a brandy old fashioned. I did. I did. did. Oh, see, there you go. I was paying attention. Thank you. And also, um, you know, they, they love brandy. They love warm drinks. So Tom and Jerry ticks all of those boxes. So you can get a frozen container of Tom and Jerry mix when the winter sets in, just at a, like, a liquor store or supermarket. I can't find any at Jewel, which is Albertsons for any of you across the country. And I did check it out. Hans Piggly Wiggly does oh. not have it either. Well, that's a shame. Our, our Piggly Wiggly folded many years ago, unfortunately, but uh, that's sad. You know I love a Piggly Wiggly. However, oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. Piggly Wiggly, they get extra bonus Stevie Close points because they did have a Tom and Jerry recipe on their website. Oh, nice. Which they've I'm, gotten from a Wisconsin restaurant store back in Wisconsin. I'm honestly surprised Piggly Wiggly has a website. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple well-known uh, Wisconsin brands are Mrs. Bowen's, made by Cedar Crest Ice Cream and Connolly's Tom and Jerry Batter. Uh, but what Cedar Crest makes about 70,000 containers sold mostly in Wisconsin, you know, maybe Minnesota and Michigan's uh, UP, Upper Peninsula. But when they're done for the holiday season, the Cedar Crest managers, they bring in a couple of griddles and they make Tom and Jerry French toast for their employees. Oh, wow. That's really nice. Yeah. I like that idea. And Tom and Jerry really appears as almost a character in a Damon Runyon short story. Do you know Damon Runyon? No, uh, he, was a, he was a newspaper man. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, he had a bunch of short stories. It was always like New York gangsters and CD Broadway kind of characters. And it, uh, it he, he kind of captured that moment after Prohibition. And he wrote this short story called Dance and Dance Christmas, which features Tom and Jerry basically as a character of the story. So I want to read you just a touch of it. Now, one time it comes on Christmas. And in fact, it is the evening before Christmas, and I am in good time Charlie Bernstein's little speakeasy in West 47th Street, wishing Charlie a Merry Christmas and having a few hot Tom and Jerry's with it. This hot Tom and Jerry is an old-time drink that is once used by one and all in this country to celebrate Christmas with and is, in fact, 
once so popular that many people think Christmas is invented only to furnish an excuse for hot Tom and Jerry. Although, of course, this is by no means true. But anybody will tell you that there is nothing that brings out the true holiday spirit like hot Tom and Jerry. And I hear that since Tom and Jerry goes out of style in the United States, the holiday spirit is never quite the same. Well, as good time Charlie and I are expressing our holiday sentiments to each other over our hot Tom and Jerry. And I'm trying to think up the poem about the night before Christmas and all through the house, which I know will interest Charlie no little. All of a sudden, there's a big knock at the front door. And when Charlie opens the door, who comes in carrying a large package under one arm, but a guy by the name of Dancing Dan. Ah. So his characters had names like Dancing Dan and Good Time Charlie and Benny South Street and Nathan Detroit. And one of his stories was turned into a musical in today's episode oh. of <laughs> The I was stumped before you even got into this whole story. I didn't even know who the guy, who the author was. So I feel like Come I'm pretty stumped. What Broadway musical was inspired by and lived in Damon Runyon's world? I'm not giving you any clues because I just gave them to you. Oh, wow. Benny um, South Street, Nathan Detroit. I mean, that all sounds like Dick Tracy stuff to me. Um, That's right. It was Dick Tracy. <laughs> no, I mean, the, with those kind of names, I mean, it, you know, it sounds like a hammerhead howl or whatever. Oh, um, my goodness. I uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I probably should. I've probably no. seen it, but I don't know. Lament, uh, Tin Horns Lament. I got the mm. horse right here. His name is Paul Revere. Oh, whatever. I'm no, you lost band. <laughs> Stevie Claus is leaving you nothing. In the snow. Go on to our Facebook page and tell us what Damon Runyon musical it was. Well, what, come on, people. You all know this. I'm not even going to talk about this anymore. Just go to our Facebook page and I'll give you a, a Christmas like. <laughs> you get coal. So anyway, last thing I want to say about this is I just love this hot Tom and Jerry story by Damon Runyon. So I'm going to separately record this and put it on uh put it up for download. Nice. So I'm just going to read the whole short story is a, is a little if you're sitting in your car and you just want to or, you know, doing what are your dishes or whatever, and you want to hear a little Christmas, uh, a little Christmas short story read to you, I'm going to do that for you as a Christmas present. That is awesome. Can you I'm sing it? You. It's not a song. Oh, I'm being it. serious. I'm giving a lovely <laughs> Stevie Claus <laughs> gift. I'm excited. All right. Um, all right. So where am I? Oh, 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 Natalie. Natalie. <laughs> Get those bells ringing. I love those J-I-N-G-L-E <laughs> Oh, we're headed to, oh, we're in Scotland for Odd Man's Milk. Oh, this podcast is going to be six hours long. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just <laughs> you what? don't even know. I've got so much more. But you, you just made me the way you said that. Where do you put the emphasis? Is it odd man's milk or is it odds man's milk? It's a bit Ew. Too Ew. <laughs> is this like a Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving? Yeah. <laughs> Ew. Um, so it's odd, like odd acquaintance be forgotten. Right. So the Scots version of eggnog in Scotland, Christmas is a low-key celebration. It's mainly a build-up to New Year's called Hogmanay, which is their biggest party of the year. Because do you know why, Hans Rufford? I do not. I do not. Did you know that for a time Christmas was banned in Scotland, Hans Rufford? No, I did not. Do you know a person of Scottish descent who also didn't know this, Hans Rufford? Was it you, I would imagine? Yes. yes. I had no <laughs> Yay. idea. Yay. Finally, we're on the no same idea. page. In the late 1500s, during the Scottish Reformation, the Church of Scotland abandoned 
Catholic beliefs, and they abolished anything popish. So they got rid of Yule Day, all of the saints' days. So the only day that was kept holy was the Sabbath day. So Christmas was not a major celebration for 400 years. Wow. Scots had to work on Christmas Day until the 1970s. Wow. So because they banished Christmas... I mean, it wasn't that, you know, you weren't allowed to. Sure, it just sure. Wasn't, wasn't celebrated or wasn't acknowledged. Yeah. So they'd focus their celebration around New Year's Eve, which is Hogmanay, and the two days that follow. And so Hogmanay is the most exciting festival that they have. Uh, and their version of eggnog is called Odd Man's Milk. And so I found a recipe from a good Scottish lady, Mistress Margaret Dodds. And to read her recipe from the 1800s, is my Scottish sister-in-law, Laura Derby. Now, Laura was born in Scotland and she doesn't have her accent. But when I ask her to put on her accent or when she gets pissed, (laughs) it comes out and it's my favorite. So I am going to ask Laura to read this now. Now, when I... Are you ready to hear something stupid? Although I think you just have been for the past four minutes. (laughs) That's why you signed up. Something else stupid. When I called her... And she she was like, I'm not an actress. Don't ask me to do this. I was like, fuck it up. Even though she has COVID and everything, I'm forced her to do it. I listened back to it and I was like, why can't I hear myself very well? So what I did when I recorded it is I recorded her stuff all properly. And my microphone was behind me. (laughs) Like, like I looked at the video and I'm like, I'm not even close. The microphone is on the other wall. So can, can I can I paint a scene here for the listener? Because I am in our attic, which has this spray foam insulation. I think I've mentioned it before. I look like I'm in a, in a wampa cave from The Empire Strikes Back. I'm in this in this just foamy attic, and there's all sorts of crap behind me. The first time we recorded and Steve uh, logged on, saw the video, he said, oh, I didn't realize that you were on set for the taping of an episode of Hoarders because I'm surrounded by crap. Now, in contrast, Steve is in a sound booth, right? It's, he's got like the the foamy things and a clipboard. He's got foam on this. I mean, like the professional, like, what do you call those things? Sound absorbing panels or yeah, whatever. The egg, they call them uh, like egg crating, I think. Well, so he's got the eggnog crating going on in his uh, in his in his studio, and uh, the fact that he was facing, he had his ass towards the microphone. I think is so classic. I just wanted to paint that picture. I did, I did. So you're going to hear Laura talking, and then you're going to, then you'll hear me talking. <laughs> so, but I, she won't redo it. So anyway, here you go. Okay, so in order to talk about this uh, old man's milk, I am bringing my favorite Scott, my 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 sister-in-law, Laura, because she's from Scotland, and she and I together have to be our own island in the sea of Italians, right? Yes, yes, for sure. So now, what were you telling me about Scotland and New Year's versus Christmas? Because you said you don't really celebrate it. Christmas is, it, it just is okay. It's not even a thing. Yeah. But New Year, Hogmanay, yeah, is the big deal there. Um, there's lots of traditions around New Year's Eve. There's a thing called um, First Footin'. First what? First Footin'. Footin'? Footin'. Uh-huh. You're, you're the first foot in the house. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. And you never cross somebody's door without a drink in your hand. Oh, I love that. See, those are our people. Yeah. So, well, obviously, so at the bells, they call it, you know, midnight, you hang outside your window with pots and pans and wooden spoons and bang. Yeah. And then people 
kind of tend to scatter because everybody's got a house that they first put in. So oh. they're then going to the different homes that they do the first footing in. Why don't we do And they that? go into the home. Yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, this, this thing goes on for days. I mean, yeah. it's the New Year's celebration goes on for days, literally. Christmas is, what do they say? Christmas is for the Waynes. Oh, yeah. When my mom was growing up, they had no money. So they would get like an orange and an apple in their stocking. Yeah, yeah. We but always it, got it that. It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a thing for them, but Hogmanay was the big deal. And even like you would get a steak pie on New Year's as well. There was <gasps> even food you ate specifically on New Year's. Yeah. Okay, so I want you to read this in your best Scottish voice. This is from Margaret Dodds, who was really the novelist Christian Isabel Johnstone in uh, at 1781 to 1857 for Odd Man's Milk. Let me hear this in your best Scott. Okay. Your best, your best 1800 Scott, Laura. <laughs> well, here's your recipe for your old man's milk. You beat your yolks and whites, six eggs separately. You put the beet yolks, sugar, and a quart of new milk or sweet cream. And then you add the rum, the whiskey, or brandy to taste, about <laughs> half a pint. Slip in the whipped whites and give the whole thing a gentle stir up in a china punch bowl oh, in which it should be mixed absolutely it may be flavored with nutmeg or lemon zest perfect and once we do that is there a good toast i sent you a toast by robert burns okay oh robbie burns here's a bottle and an honest man what would you wish for me man what cans before his life may end what his share may be okay, man. So catch the moments as they fly and use them as ye ought, man. Believe me, happiness is shy and comes not I when sought, man. Yay! <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. And you yeah. said that your family never made old man's milk. Oh, hell no. They would be appalled by that. <laughs> You're no doing that to my whiskey. Now, if they were getting it for free and it was somebody else's whiskey, they would drink it. Right. But if my granddaughter said, oh, Uck, away you go. No, you're not doing that with my whiskey. No. no. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Laura. Yeah. Merry Christmas. So, Merry Christmas. Go feel better. I, I forced I her to do this with COVID, y'all. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Love you. Okay. Enough of that nonsense. Ah! Oh, Natalie, off we go. Jingle, 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 jingle. Oh, look, we're in Mexico and we've run out of time, so I'm going to do these quickly. In Mexico, they have rompope, mm -hmm. which is a variation of eggnog believed to have been invented by nuns in the convent of Santa Clara in Puebla, Mexico. Yep. Now, what I love about their version is they use ground almonds. Oh, yeah. I love it with a sense. Right? Yeah. And it adds texture and thickness. They also use egg yolks only. And when they use pine nuts instead of almonds, which I would love to taste, I would Ooh. love to taste that, they generally uh, dye it pink to oh. differentiate the flavors. Okay. You can buy pre-mixed bottles in Mexico, but it does not appear that they have them at the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Off we go! <laughs> on Dasher, on Dasher, on Natalie! All right, now we are, oh, where are we? We're in Puerto Rico with Coquito which is the Puerto Rican eggnog made with, oh my God, it's made with coconut. Oh, that sounds awesome. 
I mean, come on. Coquito means little coconut in Spanish. So they use evaporated milk and sweetened condensed milk and cream of coconut, Puerto Rican rum. And then yeah. uh, not in every case eggs, but sometimes eggs, because often they will just uh, that cream of coconut can take the place of the egg. Got it. Yeah, it's thick. It kind of got a great concept. That sounds amazing. I want to go to Puerto Rico for that. Well, you could also go to East Harlem where they do the Coquitos Master Tournament where Ooh. everybody, oh my gosh, they just held it in Thanksgiving. We just missed it. We missed it. Oh, and I think all our gifts are done. We've added them out to everyone. You've all been, you've all been very, very good to listen to all this nonsense. So, Hans, you get uh, Cole because you have no idea who David Runyon is or the play. All, all the rest of you are going to get something, something good. So at that, at at that, this, at this time, Santa says that. I should do a recipe. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. Now, so at the top of the show, we talked about the fact that you purchase a lot of eggnog and then you let it uh, you let it age for sometimes yes. a month or two in your fridge yes. as you wonder, why did I buy a half gallon of this? And as you said, that's pretty much the smallest quantity that you can buy. Um, so this is a recipe, actually, you, you just kind of touched on it a minute ago, of making French toast. And uh, I love doing this with that leftover right. or remainder. Instead of using your regular you know, milk in, the, in yeah. your batter, you're using eggnog. Now, as I mentioned earlier- you the eggs in it. Yeah, but there's not that much eggs. Oh, in that's it. true. So, you did say that. Yeah, so you still have to add your eggs to get that kind of a custard. Even if if you're using a store bought eggnog, and I assume that you are, that's what you're going to have left over. Um, if the eggs were in there, they were already kind of cooked into like a custard base, and so they really wouldn't set the uh, the French toast the way you want it to. So you're still going to do essentially whatever your favorite uh, French toast recipe is. But I'll I'll put one up for you where you're going to swap out the milk for the eggnog now. I also mentioned that I'm a bit lactose intolerant, not that you need to know that, but the um, not that they sponsor us, but they should. Chobani makes a really good oat nog. And I, this was the first year that we'd tried it in our house and everybody agreed it was really fantastic. And in fact, it's the closest we've come to actually finishing a bottle of eggnog in our house because it's not so thick um, that it that makes you feel heavy or, you know, like you just drank a dessert. So um, I made it using the oat nog and it held up to the heat just fine. It gave you that nice uh, mix and it has those flavors in there like nutmeg and cinnamon and cardamom and ginger. And my little hack is I like to put just a little grind of black pepper into the mix um, oh, because black pepper, you know, I see again, you. yeah, it's just that in, in combination with those other spices, it, it really is good. And you're going to have the other spices in the eggnog, but a little crack of black pepper in there is is bueno. As, All uh, right. as the French say. All right. I think French that's a great <laughs> idea. So mine is a recipe that I have in my book, but that the recipe comes from Audrey Saunders. And I've talked about her before. She uh, had the Pegu Club in Manhattan, and she was the first one who really inspired me to start cocktailing. And so I really trust her. And I included her Tom and Jerry recipe in my book. Now, she talked about it in the Imbibe podcast. If you want to give that a listen, I'm not sure how I'm going to give you guys the link. I guess maybe on the Facebook page. It'll work. I'll give you the link if you want to hear her talk about eggnog, uh, excuse me, about her Tom and Jerry, if you want to listen to that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. 
So she uses milk instead of water, of course, which I'm a fan of. You know, I talked about, you know, you're going to make this batter. And uh, I secretly wish that Miller's Pub had used milk instead of uh, instead of water as well. But she adds orange bitters to her. Remember, I said yeah, to yeah. keep that in mind because they used it in the poncha crema. So she adds that, which I think is a really good idea. And a lot of people fuss over the batter and they panic about this batter being in the refrigerator and then falling. But uh, not out of the refrigerator, but, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, she doesn't mind that at all. And she recommends some shortcuts that include using a stand mixer. So uh, she can get through it pretty quickly, making the Tom and Jerry mix for herself. So I think you're going to like this. Now, uh, I will put that recipe back on. Now, can you make 200 of them in uh, on a weeknight? Could you make could you it's knock a out- big recipe? <laughs> I don't have 200 people that I like. Okay, uh, Hans, nog nog. Who's there? Uh, potato. Potato? Potato who? Potato. Potatoes don't have last names. Why do you <laughs> even think that you should run a podcast if you don't know that a potato doesn't have a last name? <laughs> I You're thought the worst. La- I thought their last name was Latka. No, you shouldn't even have this. Okay, so if you enjoyed these recipes, please, hey, go pick them up. We're giving you free recipes. What? Merry Christmas, yo! Giving you free recipes at our website, which is butidigestpodcast.com. You can email us at butidigestpodcast at gmail.com. I don't think I've checked that in a couple of weeks. I don't know if anybody's been angry and emailing oh, no. me. Um, check us out on Facebook and tell us about, you know, the Damon Runyon. Hello, Nathan Detroit. Um, and Instagram at butidigestpodcast, Twitter at butidigestpod. Also on our website, you'll find a link to Hans's line of spices, as well as a link to download my cocktail book, The New Old bar and once again Hans oh you know what people I think I don't know if you have time to get some spices for the holidays to send them out as gifts we're the worst at telling people well no we did last time and hard copies that I could have gotten for people for Christmas no and sign but you know what that you give them a piece of paper that says hey some spices are coming and we got a signed cocktail book coming your way so give them the IOU and then we will send it and it'll be it won't get lost in the melee of other crazy holiday presents it'll be something special a couple of weeks afterwards Oh, that's nice. That's a good idea. Special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel, to our editor, oh, Natalie DeGico, our favorite little elf. Unless, like I said, she had decided to be a reindeer. <laughs> Special music by Corey Goodrich, and our theme music is by Brian Reyes. And if you are enjoying our show, we hope you will give us a gift by doing what, Hansel? By leaving us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Google or wherever you listen to this uh, zany mess. Uh, it really it's not just for our egos. It helps with the whole algorithms and, you know, it makes uh, it makes these uh, industrial techie people happy. Leave a review uh, so we know what we're what we're doing is good. And don't forget to check out the Damon Runyon story, Dancing Dan's Christmas, which I'm going to read for you as a little holiday gift because you are loved. Stevie Claus loves you. Are we done here? We are done. Happy holidays, everybody. Give us a ho-ho, Hans. Ho-ho-ho. I sound like the green giant, sorry. (laughs) 